Private Eye, and welcome to my podcast. Today, we are working on Brandon, good guy or a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I say we're because I'm here today with Richard Casper, who is one of the few lawyers that I trust. Hello. This is going to be a fun case to talk about. Yeah. It is. This is a good one. Let me start out. I'd like to have inspirational quote that reminds me of the case. And for this one, my quote is from Henry David Thoreau. Most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Well, Brandon's not in his grave, but his case was clearly one of a man living two lives, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. When I first got Brandon's case, I was playing a gig with my band, which is my favorite things to do and I got off stage I don't usually have my phone with me while I'm playing so I got off stage and when then I saw that I had a message that I had a new case and I needed to get to jail the next morning to investigate and what do you do when you have something like that is there any preparation you do the night before sometimes the lawyer will send me discovery which is the information that the government has the evidence they They call it discovery when they give it part of the case. And sometimes I'll have the discovery ahead of time. Sometimes I won't. And in this case, they said, hey, we have a sex case for you. And in this case, the only information I had is that this guy was charged with eight counts of attempted rape and attempted kidnapping. So both attempted. So maybe not necessarily a sex case, but what, assault or something like that? No, it's a sex case. They actually called it attempted rape. So it was attempted rape. Okay. Yes. So we finished the gig, and <laughs> I knew what my, my schedule was going to be the next day. I was going to be in jail again. And I got to the jail and joked around with the woman at the front because I knew where I'd been. Because I probably spend more time in jail than anyone, anyone you know that hasn't committed a crime. As I was checking in, I was joking with her and saying, those of us that come for professional visits are actually the weird ones because we come here by choice. Everyone else has to be here. So I checked in, and they tell me what potty's in. When you're in jail, jail is like, it's cold. It's just like you see in the movies. All it is is cement and steel. So very sterile. Very sterile. There's like, there's nothing in there to make their lives pleasant. No paintings on the wall, no windows to look out. No. And when friends or family go to visit an inmate, they have to do a visit, depending on where, which jail it is. But for most jails, they have to do it through the glass visit. Which means there's a piece of transparent material between you and the inmate, right? A wall and then there's a glass that you can see through the wall. So you can see them, but you couldn't touch them. You can't touch them, right. So that's what a non-contact visit is. Right, and so like whenever I'd meet with a client in those places where their friends and family come, you can see like marks all over the windows where people have been touching and kissing the glass so they can both touch hands and kiss each other through the glass, or they'll scratch the heck out of it. For a professional visit, I'm in a separate room where it's like a contact visit. Oh. So I don't have the glass separating me. Of course, seeing a guy who is charged with eight counts of attempted rape and attempted kidnapping, I'm a little apprehensive. So it's just you and he in the room together? Yes. Was he shackled? Yeah, he was shackled. But you must have been a little bit scared. I was because you just don't know how often they're monitoring. So even if he decided to go crazy somehow for some reason and... 
decided to hurt me. The first, the initial interview is just to say, I just want to know from them, like their story. Tell me your story. How did you get here? How many counts was he charged with? He was charged with eight counts. So eight separate instances. How do you keep those separate in your mind? We just go through it and figure out how each count happens. So each one was on a different day? Different different... day, different person. Yep. It's a good question because sometimes there will be one person and multiple counts. But in this case, there were eight different women. Eight different victims. Young women. They were young women. Brandon was, when I meet him, they bring him into me. And he's, you know, when we picture, okay, what does a serial rapist look like? I mean, we don't picture them to, we kind of want them to look like a monster in our heads, don't we? Yeah. Although with TV, we kind of know that most of them are pretty good looking guys. And Brandon was no exception to that. He was a good looking guy. He was probably 5'10", 180 pounds, nice looking guy. Really interesting background. Most of my clients are pretty rough. Most of them don't have an education other than maybe a high school education. But in this case, Brandon had finished high school, and after high school he did some college, and then he went on a Mormon mission, which is really, really interesting because I don't have a lot of clients that have been on a Mormon mission. Do you know where he went on his mission? It was stateside. So in the continental United States Yes. I am Mormon. I grew up Mormon. I love my Mormon religion, and it is really rare that someone that grows up with those kind of beliefs and background and and that is adhering to those I mean he was still active in his religion in his church that is extremely rare to have someone who is a religious person and attending church do something like this be charged with it even if you just look at the stats of this people that are more educated and more active in a religion, they are way less likely to get involved in a criminal case. So when they do, it's even more shocking, which is why I chose to talk about this case, because it's one of the most shocking cases I've ever had. Okay, let's talk about Brandon. So You started to say what he looked like. Yeah, so nice-looking kid, and at the time of his arrest, he was a pre-med major. Pre-med, Yeah. So he's pretty bright. So he's pretty bright. And as I start learning about him, his background in high school, he was class president of his class. Oh my gosh, a politician. Now, who would have ever guessed that a politician would be a sexual (laughs) deviant? No, no. I'm serious, though. If I put Brandon in a lineup of like 200 guys that are in their 20s, and I said, hey, one of these guys is charged with, he's been alleged to have attempted to rape and kidnap eight different women at the time of his arrest, and and who knows if there are more that haven't come forward, or who knows how many more there would have been. Over what period of time? More six than to, one a month? About six to eight months. Yeah, about one a month. Probably more than one a month. So as I start talking to him, and I learned he had been class president, I said, man... A popular kid. Yeah, I said, exactly. I said, Brandon... You must have been pretty popular. Did you have a lot of friends? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, tell me. As soon as I started talking to him, asking him, how did you get in this spot? One of the first things he explained to me was, hey, this is all a misunderstanding. People, like, it, they just don't under, like, they don't get it. This was just a joke. And I, I said, okay. Like, I really try to be open-minded, listen to my clients, and see if there's anything valid to what they're saying. 
I said, okay, tell me, how is this a joke? And he said, well, when I got home from my mission, I started college and I would hang out with my friends on weekends, like Friday and Saturday night. And we'd hang out for a while. And then after we hung out, on my way home, as I'd be driving home, and he lived with his parents because he's just... He was living with his parents. Then. Yes. And he said he'd be on his way home and he had a pellet gun in his car that looked like a real gun, but it was just a pellet gun. And he said that on his way home, he would look to find, see a, a young woman that was walking alone. And when he found a young woman walking alone, he would pull over, roll down his window, and tell her. Now, and I, <laughs> for my mother, I have to apologize because in, in the intro, I swore. And she called me and said she loved the intro, except that she hated to hear me swear. Like, do I have to do that? And I'm really sorry. But it, the world, the criminal world, is really rough. I am not going to hold back from you people. I want you guys to know what it feels like to do, to see the world through my eyes, and this is part of it. So he would roll down his window and put that, hold the gun out to the girl that he saw, and he would say, get in the effing car, bitch. Except he wouldn't say effing, that's why I'm protecting you guys and, and myself and my mom. And usually the girls would get scared, of course, and take off running. And let me take this minute to tell all, all the women out there a tip from a PI. That statistically what we know is if there is an attempted kidnapping or assault on you and someone has a gun, they pull a gun on you or a, a weapon, your chances of survival are so much better if you just take off running, even if they're going to try to shoot you in the back. You are better off than if you get in that car. Would you advise them to zigzag while they run? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. absolutely. Zigzag, but run away. Don't get in the vehicle. If your chances of survival are way less than. Okay, so we've got this young man. How old is he? 21? 22. 22 years old. And he's had some college. He's a bright kid, a, an obedient, religious kid. Yeah. And all of a sudden, after he leaves his friends and he's by himself, he does a couple of things that are just totally out of character. He pulls out a gun and he threatens someone using very coarse language. Yeah. Three things that are out of character. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's that's shocking, isn't it? It is. And so when I said, what the hell is going on? What were you thinking? And he said, well, it was just a joke. It was like he literally compared it to... Like, it's like if I went toilet papering at someone's house. <laughs> and I was, I, no, no, Brandon, this is not like toilet papering. And he said, yeah, it is, it's the same. And I said, no, that's absolute bullshit. I can prove it to you. Did you say to your friends? Because you were with your friends right before that. If you really believed that this was like toilet papering, wouldn't you have said to your friends, hey, you guys, I have so much fun after I drop you guys off. I go, as I drive home, I go looking for some young woman that's walking alone. And then if she is really alone, I pull out a gun and tell her to get in the effing car. And then I pretend like I'm going to rape her. So all of these alleged victims were alone at the time of his... Uh, Every one of them. It's just, okay, so that's an interesting part of the pattern too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It is. So one of the girls... And they were complete strangers, right? Yes. 
complete strangers to him, but they were on his path to his way home. Which is another thing that we see that people typically will assault and attack people that they know or people that are in their world, that are like near them. So for him, they were in their, they were in, they were in this guy's world, they were in his neighborhood. And you're, you're going to hear actually how he gets caught is because of that. Okay, let's hear it. So one of the girls that he pulls a gun on and he tells her, get in the effing car, actually gets in his car. And oh, she really? is she was terrified. Do we know anything about her, how old she is, what she was doing? She was 14 years old. Oh, really? So, yeah. Wow. She was 14 so years really old. Young. Really young. Coming home from a church activity. By herself. By herself. In the dark. In the dark, walking home. and. So probably... Late at night, like close to midnight. You know, because it was coming home from a church activity, I doubted so that it was that like late. 10 o'clock or I something. think it was earlier. Yeah. So she gets in the car. Now this is the, this is where there's a difference in his story and the and her story. And her story is what I read in the discovery in the police reports. And she said that he had her drive. Really? Yeah, and I, that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. I've never had like why would a woman why would he give her control? That doesn't make sense. But that was it doesn't. But that get out of the car, have her slide in, and right. go around to the other <laughs> right, side. Exactly. Like, give her all that time she could have just. Yeah, driven. that doesn't so, make sense. It doesn't does make it? sense. But that was her statement. His statement was that he didn't do that. That he held her at gunpoint. She did say he was holding her at gunpoint, like at her head, that he had the gun at her head. Really? Yeah. I wonder if he got out of the car, maybe, and was standing and made her get in the driver's side. That might have been... Maybe that Maybe that was what she meant, and the police yeah. officer, when he wrote the report, it was different, because I hadn't heard her actual statement yet. This At this point, we're just reading like what they tell us. And a 14-year-old wouldn't be very comfortable driving she couldn't couldn't have a driver exactly exactly so it doesn't make sense so i think the police officer misheard it i think he must have said what she probably said is he made me get in through the driver's side and held the gun to my head now when brandon told me the story he didn't tell me he held it right at her head there's a difference emotionally isn't there when there's a gun at your head or legal difference no not a legal difference but emotionally i i just think there's a difference, but not huge. Not huge, but a slight difference. And he drives, ironically, to a church parking lot. And then he reaches over and starts touching. This is from both their accounts now. He reaches over, starts touching her leg, and he unzips his pants. Now, in his version to me, he didn't tell me about unzipping his pants. But in her version to the police, he unzipped his pants, and he's touching her leg and telling her that he's going to have sex with her, that he's going to rape her. She just starts bawling. This is, and this is the first woman. He's done this to a few women at this point where he's told them to get in the car and most of them take off, would just take off running and crying, I'm sure. And then this, this is the craziest part of the whole thing. This is why he thought it was a joke. When the women would run off, he would yell out his window. Just kidding. And I think in his mind, I think he thought he would be able to get out of the charges if he said that. If he ever got charged, that if he just said, just kidding, 
that it would be, they'd get it, that it was a joke. So this girl was the first one that didn't just run off and was in his car, and she just starts bawling, and he panicked. He said, I panicked, I didn't know what to do, because she was just bawling, and she started screaming. And so he told her, like, get the F out of my car, get out. And when you get out, you're going to lie face down on the parking lot and not look up, not look at me, probably so she couldn't get his license plate. And you're going to wait till I'm, I've driven off and I'm long gone before you get up. So, or she didn't, certainly didn't look up because they didn't have his license plate number. She kept... Okay, so we got the first incident. The, well, that was the first one that got in his car. Okay. So it continues. He does a few of them. And then he sees on the news that they have a sketch drawing of a guy. And it looks just like him. And it's a guy that has been attempting to rape and kidnap young women in the area. And he said, I was so shocked. This was, I was just joking. And here the police were taking this all seriously. I, was, I thought about calling the police and telling them, hey, it's just a joke. Okay, so after this, did he do it again after he heard that? He did. Wow. Okay, tell us about that one. He attempts it again with a few more women. They run off right thing to do let me keep telling you women that's the right thing to do run after a few failed attempts brandon tries again sees a young woman walking home it's late at night she's walking alone he holds the gun out tells her to get in the effing car bitch and she gets in this is the second girl now to get in the car he starts to drive off and she panics and just she's terrified she just starts screaming and screaming. He doesn't know what to do, so he told me, I, he just told her, pulled the car over and told her to get out of the car, and he drove off. Then, one day, he wasn't in his car. He had to borrow his parents' car to go out that night, and so he didn't have his pellet gun, his little fake gun that, well, pellet gun's not a fake gun, but it's not lethal. He didn't have this gun with him to do his little game. So he looked in the trunk and he found a knife in the trunk. It was a big hunting knife that his dad had used. And he decided to use that. Driving home, yeah, he, so now we're actually escalating to a real weapon. He sees a woman that just pulls into her driveway of her home and he decides this is his opportunity. He gets out. Pulls, parks his car, gets out, goes running up. And just as she comes out of her car, he runs up behind her, puts the knife to her throat, and tells her, you're coming with me. And like I said, for all of us women, we need to take off running, take every chance we can to get but away. he had her in his grip. Then. He did, he did. With a knife at her neck? Yep. Oh my God. A knife at her throat. Terrifying. And... In the... In her driveway. In her driveway. Very, very aggressive of him. And this is after he'd heard about his crime on TV and heard it and said it was just a joke? Yes. This is not a guy who thinks it's a joke, is it? No. No way. And Although he kept insisting to me that that's what it was. So she, she's horrified, terrified, thinking she's going to die. But she's her house, the door is like feet away 
So she takes off, she breaks away from him, takes off running, gets in the house, and her dad is home. And Brandon panics, of course, runs and gets in his car and drives off. She, she didn't get his license plate number. But here is the real kicker. The dad is, her, she's telling her dad about it, bawling, hysterically, going on. And then she says, you know what, dad? I think I went to high school with him. Oh, so she's his same age. She's she, in her 20s. She's in her 20s. They're not, they weren't the exact same age, but they went to high school together. She went to the high school yearbook. She, so she ran, grabbed her yearbook and looked and she finds him in their points and says, there he is. Oh, and she was, that's who Brandon was. That's who Brandon was. Remember, he was a popular kid in high school. Wow. Then so what happened? Is she the one who went to the police then? She's the one that went to the police and then they started running stories on the news saying, hey, we're looking for anyone that has been assaulted, attempted to, attempted rape, attempted kidnapping. If you have seen this guy, then come forward. And just like that, there were eight, eight women that came forward. So they didn't immediately arrest him after she identified him from the yearbook? Yes, they did. Oh, they did? They did. But then they were still, the news, they were asking the news to help them to find more, identify more victims. And I suspect there, I really do think there probably were more than eight. But with a, with a crime like that, you get a lot of people that are, people are just get scared to come forward. It's a, it's a scary thing. As I would prepare the case, I'd go meet with him every week or two at jail and learn more, trying to learn. And I, I would ask him about his background and... And I'm trying to learn everything I can from him. And I get word from his lawyer that his parents have decided that they think that he has brain damage because when he was on his mission, on a P day on their mission, which is which is the day that missionaries get... It's their day off. It's their day off, yeah. And on, on his day off, a bunch of missionaries were, were playing around. There was some zip line, and he was playing on the zip line, and as he was riding down, the zip line broke, and he fell quite a ways and broke his leg. And I, he didn't just break it a little bit. Like, he broke his femur bone in half. Femur's the upper leg, right? Yeah. Yep, the upper bone. And it was, it was broken so severely that he had to come home from his mission. And how long did it take to rehab? A year. Because he had to have surgery with his femur being completely broke, pretty intense. It wasn't just like wear this cast for six weeks. And then you had to go through the church to try to get back on your mission to... And he went back to the same mission, and he completed his mission. Now, this is where things get really amazing, I think, because not everyone in the Mormon church, not every young man and woman goes on a mission. It's really the more valiant of the faith that do that. And those that go on a mission, not everyone completes a mission. And here he had such an easy out to not finish his mission. He had a broken leg, and... You have to wait a while and jump through hoops to get back on your mission again. It would have been so easy for him to not go back. But so he went back. it makes you wonder if maybe something happened during his rehabilitation. Well, his parents argued that when he fell that he hit his head and he had a brain injury. And because of the brain injury, this was causing him to do this totally irrational stuff. So by he lost some impulse control or Exactly. Something. Exactly. Okay. So... The lawyer I was working with knew that I graduated in psychology. And one of my classes, I'd studied with a renowned neuropsychologist. And for a semester, we really were just studying brain injuries in young adults. 
and the impact that that has on the brain. And I'm by no means an expert, not even close. But what I did know from working in this field, to be able to use that to get out of this allegation, for someone, as you know, as a lawyer, you know, like to be able to prove that there's mental incompetency, that means the defendant doesn't have the ability to understand the charges against him and doesn't have the ability to help us prepare his defense. I didn't think that that matched at all with with Brandon. Well, I think the the word you're looking for is, well, there are two words, mens rea. It's the state of mind that's required to convict someone of a crime. There's the act and the state of mind. So what they were doing was thinking that you should challenge whether he had the state of mind to be convicted of this crime, right? Whether he intended to assault women. Yeah, mens rea. So I'm just kind of going from common sense thinking, and in my mind, hey, he went on his mission, he comes home, he has a whole year that he's home, and he doesn't do anything irrational. This is after the injury. He goes back to his mission, completes that second year of his mission without incident. The whole time, he's not doing anything impulsive or out of character that we know of. And he was telling me every time, hey, it was just a joke. This is totally getting out of hand, what these people think it is. And I was like, Brandon, I am a woman. This is not a joke. This is terrifying to a young woman. Society's not going to look at that like it's a joke. And because you weren't inviting your friends to go play this game with you, I didn't believe it. So a few months in, I got word from the office. They called and told me that Brandon had something really big he needed to talk to me about. So I rushed to the jail. I can't wait to hear it. Now, mind you, I have already asked Brandon, because a lot of times when people have these issues, they have been sexually molested themselves as children. They've been physically abused. They've been, they have some real issues. I had already gone through all of that background with him. And he said none of that was an issue, that he had this Basically, the way he described it, basically a perfect childhood, great family, grew up, good people, good life, and kind, loving parents. They went to church, all of them, all the time. They were good people, and he, this was just a joke. So, I'll continue this episode in part two of Brandon, where you will hear what the big secret was Brandon had to tell me. Thanks for listening to Pamela Private Eye.